If you have your Bibles with me, open. And I'm going to get back into this, why we are here subject. And um, I've been dealing with it for the past three weeks. And number one, we're here to worship the Lord. Number two, we're here to live in community with one another. So the worship thing, I could preach on that every Sunday. It's like my favorite, one of my favorite things to preach on. And then number two, we're here to be in community with one another. You're not meant to live and do this thing alone. No matter what state you're in in life, you're meant to live it in context with other people and uh, worshiping with other people. So thank you for making an effort to come out and worship with us this morning. Can we say amen? amen. I'm glad to be here. Somebody said it's better to be seen than viewed. Sorry, that's bad. That's, that's real bad. But it's true. <laughs> Hallelujah. So today I'm going to talk about something that um, is, is a huge subject, and I'm trying to find my way through it, and that is the subject of identity. And you, you're created to worship God, you're created to live in community with others, and you're created to learn your identity and to fulfill your assignment. I'm going to run through that again. You're here, you were created to figure out your identity and then to fulfill the assignment God has on your life. And I'm going to use the term assignment more than destiny or calling. or It's, it's your assignment, okay? So I'm just going to read one verse that's going to launch me into this whole huge subject. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth, for you died. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're here to discover your identity and complete your assignment. I heard this one time and I think it's powerful. And that is when you look at a, a gravestone, they always put the beginning date and ending date of your life on there, right? And those are important dates. We celebrate our birthday every year, hopefully. And it's a big date. When you were born, the day you died is a big date as well. It's, it's huge. But the most important thing on that tombstone, really, is the dash in between those dates. Because that dash in between those dates represents your entire life. And the question is, what did you do with it? What did you do with what did you do with the time between the bracketed dates? Did you fulfill what God had called you to do on planet Earth? Did you figure out what your identity was? Well, somebody shout amen. amen. So first of all, and I could go off on this, I could preach the rest of the morning on this, but first of all, let's figure out our identity. We are first, as a believer, identified with Christ. And our life is hidden with Him in God. So you are first and foremost a Christian. 
You're first and foremost a child of God. And now your identity has shifted. Once you get saved, your identity shifts that now you're hidden in Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, I think, is, is such a beautiful passage that lays out the power of our identity in Christ. Paul does it right out of the gate in Ephesians chapter 1. Talks about who we are, who we were created to be. So let me just read a few of these verses. He says in chapter 1, verse 3 of Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose us. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. So we've been chosen... It's a mystery, really. But now I'm a chosen person. I'm chosen by God. And God chose me to make me the object of His blessings. God chose me so that He might pour out His blessing, every spiritual blessing on me, and He chose me that I might be holy and blameless. That's who I am. That's who you are. He chose you that He might make you the object of His love and blessing and that He might make you holy and without blame. Can somebody say amen? amen. Verse 5 says, In Him we have adoption. We've been adopted as sons. So now our identity is no longer um, strangers, but now we are the family of God adopted into Him, grafted into the vine with all of the benefits and privileges that come with being in a family. And He said He's adopted us to the praise of the glory of His grace. So what God wants out of us is to live our lives in such a way that He gets all of the glory out of it. That everywhere we go, every conversation we have, every task we set our hands to, somehow ultimately glorifies Him and His name. Can somebody shout amen? amen? Then he says, in Him we are redeemed. Redeemed literally means to buy back, to free from what was distressed or harmed, to bring out of captivity by payment of price. So now we've been redeemed and we've been brought out of the slavery of sin and set free, and that now is your identity. You're no longer a sinner. It doesn't mean Christians can't sin, but you're no longer a habitual sinner. Because Paul said now that dominion of sin has been broken off your life. And you're a new creation in Him. This is who you are now. Because some people want to come and serve the Lord, but they still have their identity wrapped up in their past life and in the world, and I want to break you out of that. You've been set free. I know it's hard to believe. Sometimes it's like too good to be true. Several years ago, we had a young man come here, and he prayed with me to accept Christ. And after he did, he said, does this, does, does this actually mean all of my sins are forgiven? And I lo- he had a wonder about him. It's like, can, can this be true? Is it really this good? But He has redeemed us, the Bible says, that we may understand the mystery of His will. I know this is deep stuff, but it's good stuff. 
Then he says in him, verse 11, we have an inheritance. So now our identity is wrapped up in him and he's given us an eternal inheritance. And it's, it's interesting, the Greek here is kleros, which is the word we get cleric from, which is that um, fascinating term refer, referred to a lot that was drawn and specifically what was to be gained by the lot drawn. In other words, we've been chosen and we have benefits now because of what, how God has chosen us and what He has done in us. And it produces the praise of His glory. So our inheritance is that God will be glorified. It's just like the priests in the Old Testament, the sons of Levi, sons of Aaron. They didn't have any inheritance in the land. They were given no plots of land like the other tribes. Because God said, I am your inheritance. My presence will be with you and I am your inheritance. And then finally, he says in Ephesians 1, that now our identity in Him is that we've been sealed. And we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise And now God has come and given us the first fruits of the eternity to come. And now we're experiencing a little bit of those first fruits this morning. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. So now my identity then is not found in my religious title. My identity is found in Him. My identity no longer is found in my family name, though that's great. But my true identity is found in Him. My identity is no longer found in my culture, though we honor and celebrate culture, but my true identity is found in Him. Your identity is not found in your ethnic background. Though we celebrate that, it's good to to celebrate that. But your ultimate identity is found in Him. Your identity isn't necessarily even found in your values and beliefs, and it's found now in Him. Your identity isn't found in your occupation, though that's a great thing, but your true identity is found in Him. Your identity isn't really found in your hobbies or your leisure activities. Your identity is found in Him. Your identity isn't even found necessarily in your physical attributes. It's now found in Him. And I'm going to go one step further. Your identity isn't found in being part of a Pentecostal holiness church. Your identity is that you're born again and part of the family of God. And you're hidden in Christ. Hallelujah. Can somebody shout amen? Your identity isn't that you're an American. It is important. But your true identity is that you're a citizen of heaven awaiting a kingdom to come from which you have become an ambassador of Christ in this world. Your identity in Christ trumps everything. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Your identity in Christ trumps everything. Trumps you being a Republican or you being a Democrat. Trumps you being a North Carolinian or a Virginian. It trumps you being a Southerner or a Northerner. Trumps all that. Your identity in Christ. You're my brother, you're my sister. Trump's all that. Well, hallelujah. Open with me the book of Romans. So we all have that identity. If you're in Christ, that's who you are. Called, chosen, elected, ordained, set apart, sealed by the Spirit, got an inheritance. You're all that. 
and a bag of chips. <laughs> Romans chapter 12. However, that's your overarching identity. However, each one of us does have a specific gift mix and a specific calling on our lives and a specific combination of gifts and talents and natural abilities. Notice Romans chapter 12. The Bible says in verse 3, first of all I'm in 1 Corinthians, Romans 12, 3, For I say... Through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. There's a word. But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. Now we've always taught this, God has dealt to each one the measure of faith as one of our faith concepts. But I've never seen it before attached to this context. Notice what he's saying. Then verse 4, for each, for as many, for as as we have many members in one body, but all the body, all the members rather, do not have the same function. So we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. Many members, different functions. Then he says in verse 5, So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of another. And then he goes in verse 6 and he starts talking about individual grace giftings that each person has. These appear in three places in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and Ephesians chapter 5. Talking about different aspects of God's grace. So I look at this like, like looking at God's grace like a diamond that has many different facets to it. And when I see you and the grace that God has given you, I see a particular facet of that diamond. When I look at someone else and I see the gift that God's placed in their lives, it's another facet of that diamond. That God has created you in such a way in Him that you have a particular way, a particular function in the body of Christ and in this world. Are you, are you tracking with me? Shout amen. amen. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Sorry, verse 10. Ephesians 2.10. Notice this. The Bible says, for we are, in, we are His workmanship. The term workmanship in Greek is this term poema. It's where we get the word poem from. It's a work of art. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created to do good things. You were created to perform good works and God's given you a certain function, a certain functionality in how to do that. Listen, hang on with me. I hope you had your coffee or whatever you have in the morning because I want you to hear all of this, okay? You were created to make a difference in this world. You were created to make a difference in your family. If you work a regular job, you were created to make a difference because you have a calling. You have a high calling. The ancients called it vocation. You have a vocare. God is calling out to you. You have a vocation that you're to perform 
in the church and in the world. And we have to realize that God has created us in certain ways. Doesn't mean we don't have to improve. I'm con- I, w- I constantly beat myself up for years thinking, Hans, I-, I just wish my personality was different. Then I just got to thinking, I'm the best Hans Hess that's ever been born in Grundy, Virginia. Because there's been no others born in Grundy, Virginia. And I'm just going to be Hans and try to be the best version of that with this personality that I can be. Can somebody shout amen? amen? So why don't we just try to be the best version of us that God's created? You know, years ago, there was a seminary professor who said, I stopped, he said, I was horrible at counseling. So he said, I went back and took so many counseling courses, I almost got a master's degree in it. And he said, you know what it did for my counseling? Nothing. Because I was horrible at it. So he said, I figured out why waste all that time? Why not go train more in the area that I'm gifted in? Which he was a tremendous leader. So he just went and started pouring more and more leadership knowledge into himself, something that he could actually use. I mean, if you can't turn a wrench, (laughs) and you've tried for 30 years, don't go buy a $10,000 snap-on set of tools. Do what you're gifted to do, man, and we'll celebrate you in that. If you're not gifted to mow yards, I've been telling myself this for years. (laughs) Well, I'll leave that. Hallelujah. Take the area that God's gifted you in and pour in to that area in your life. And then the beauty of the body is we can surround ourselves with friends and associates that have the other gifts we need that build us up and give us the ability to go forward. Oh, hallelujah. Brother Hans, preach on, my friend. First Peter chapter 4. I learned something. Bishop Tony Miller showed me this years ago, and it really was amazing. And I just had to, I had to show you guys. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a gift... Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the grace of God is manifold. So let's think about the manifold on a car. It's something that distributes to where it needs to go. So God's grace comes as a megaton. And then He starts distributing to each one as He determines they need it or or He set them up and wired them that way. Okay, so here's what Bishop Miller told me is that you have, he drew a triangle on a board one day. And he said, that's the area of your gifting. What you need to do for the rest of your life is fill in that whole triangle with your gifting. Become great at it. Add knowledge to it. Add experience to it. Add anointing to it. Let it grow. But often our problem is, we get outside the triangle... And we want to color over here because we saw some other guy who had a great gift and we wanted to be like them. And we started working outside the area of our gifting.
So Lord, train us in what you've gifted us to do and empower us in the area that you've gifted us in. And once you do that, you start learning what your identity is because you figure out how you're wired by God. That God's wired you in a certain way and it kind of helps you go down the road and you start getting more narrow and more narrow and more narrow in your focus. John Maxwell said, you know, when you start out in leadership, you have all of these options. But as you grow and grow and grow and grow, the options get fewer. Because you're thinking, I could have been a coal miner. Could have been a doctor, could have been a school teacher, I could have been a farmer, I could have been a truck driver. But now I've spent 30 years doing this, Lord. But you start thinking about your life. I don't want to go back to ground zero and start thinking about all those options again. I've got a few things that you've been fashioning, and we've been on the potter's wheel for a while. Come on, somebody. How many have been on the potter's wheel for a while? And God's been molding you and fashioning you. And it's, it's powerful. Somebody shout amen. amen. Okay, so shout it out. I have an identity in Christ. And I have a specific identity. So the next thing I'm going to deal with here, and I wish I had another hour, so I'll just go ahead and take it. Okay. Just kidding. The next thing is, God has given you an assignment or assignments in this life. and Your job is to fulfill them. God has given you assignments in this life and your job is to fulfill them. I thought of Acts chapter 13, verse 36, which said, David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and went to be with his fathers. Once, it, it, it sounds like David, did not just David died, but it was, what I'm hearing is he accomplished the purpose God had for him and then he went home. He accomplished the purpose God had for him, and he went home. I want to accomplish everything God has for me to accomplish in this life. I want to fulfill the assignment, complete the assignment that he has on my life. So I started thinking about the life of Abraham. If anyone had an assignment, Abraham had an assignment. God said, get out of your own country and of your own people. Now, the Bible doesn't say he told him where to go. He told him what was going to happen. He told him how it was going to go. Or he gave him the entire blueprint. It just says, get out. So I'm going to take the Bible at face value and say he just got out. And he started traveling with his family. They go to a place named Haran, which is in modern-day Syria. And there his father dies. And after his father dies, he goes down into Canaan land, which is the place that God originally assigned him to go to. Now notice this. When he comes down there, God requires many things of him. And God makes demands on his life. In response, Abraham builds four different altars in his life. Four or five different altars. And each one of those altars he builds, it's interesting, is right during or after a major encounter with the Lord. And then when he encounters God, God starts revealing himself to Abraham. He reveals himself as El Elyon, the Most High God. Then he reveals himself as El Shaddai, the God who is a provider and is all-powerful. 
And then he asked him the most difficult thing ever, take your son up on a mountain and sacrifice your son to me. What does Abraham do? He takes his son up on the mountain and he's getting ready to sacrifice him. God interrupts the process and then he reveals himself as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. So as he received his initial assignment and started walking it out, he started encountering difficulties and making his way through them. God started challenging him on his assignment and then God started pouring revelation of himself into Abraham. So when God gives you an assignment, believe me, He's going to put you on the potter's wheel. And He's going to start making demands of your life that require sacrifice. And if you're not willing to do that, you will not fulfill the full assignment God has on your life. Because there is no comfortable Christianity. But God's going to start making demand on your life and challenging you to do things that you're uncomfortable doing. But as you do that and obey the assignment on your life, then God's going to start revealing Himself to you in ways that you've never seen before. And He's going to bring you out of your comfort zone and show you, I am the Jehovah Jireh of your life. I am the El Roi of your life. I am the El Elyon of your life. I am the God who shows up and reveals myself when challenges come. Oh, come on, somebody shout hallelujah. And every time God calls you to something, He doesn't leave you without the ability and power and anointing to do the thing that He's called you to do. I told someone the other day, everything I've gotten involved in in ministry was completely over my head. I felt like every position, every board, every journey, if I just felt like it was over my head. But you know what? I just jumped on in. And I ended up swimming by the end of the thing. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Maybe I didn't do the greatest job, but bless God, I was bold enough to jump in and just start swimming. And then I noticed that God never failed me. He's never failed me. And there is no yet to it because He's never going to fail me. He has never failed me. And He's shown up every time. He's pulled me out by faith. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I remember years ago, Larry and Denise Gunther were serving as missionaries and I had somebody else who wanted to go into the mission field and, and uh, I was going to interview them for, for missions and I talked to Larry and Denise and Larry said, tell them to come on in, the water's fine. I've never forgotten that. Come on in, the water is fine. Come on out into that assignment that God's calling you to. Come on out into the deep. Get away from the shore and get away from the comfort and come out into the deep things of God and let Him reveal Himself to you in ways that you've never seen before. Because at the end of the day, what matters is not what we accumulate in this life. What matters is not how popular we were in this life. Not What matters is not even how successful we were in this life. But what matters is that we were faithful to the calling and the assignment and that we get to see His glory in this life. Oh, I'm going to preach if y'all egg me on a little bit. Come on somebody. Hallelujah. You have an identity and you have a destiny. You have an identity and you have a destiny. You have an identity and you have a destiny. Let me show you something here. Second Peter. Second Peter is, okay, arguably the last Peter the last book that Apostle Peter wrote. It's the last one. And so Peter is telling his story of 
how he's followed the Lord. And I love this. Chapter 1 of 2 Peter, verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you some fairy tale. I didn't give my life for some myth. But he said, We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. This isn't a fairy tale. I saw Him. I saw His majesty. Or let me say it this way. I saw His glory. Then he says in verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I heard this voice which came from heaven It said when, that, that spoke when we were on the holy mountain with him. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John went with Jesus. There he was transfigured. He turned into brilliant white. And all of a sudden they turned around and here was Moses and Elijah standing on either side of him and they were blown away. And then they turn around and it's Jesus alone. So this is the ending of Peter's life. This is like his epitaph. This is what's going to be written on his tombstone, let's say. So he could have said, man, I was there and there was such anointing on my life that they had to put people out in the streets and just my shadow passed by and healed them all. Or I was in a prison and the church was praying for me, angel came, got me up and opened the doors. Oh, hallelujah. I was there, and I preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were saved. He could, have, he could have listed all of his resume, but the thing that mattered at the end of his life, it seems to be, was one thing. I saw him. I saw his glory. I was on the mountain and I saw him transfigured. So this pushes me to say at the end of our lives, can we end it saying, you know what? Did a lot of great things, raised a great family. But the most important thing was I spent some years in his glory. I saw him manifest his presence. And I saw him do some things through my life that I never thought possible. Come on, somebody. You give me a few more minutes? Let me deal with one more thing. Every time God gives you an assignment, I can't divorce it from your responsibility to pass it on to the next generation. When God comes and calls you, there's something, it seems to me, always hidden within that thing that that means you need to pass it on. You need to give it to the next generation. You need to bequeath this knowledge, learning, open doors, favor to somebody else because we're not going to be here permanent. Abraham handed it to his son Isaac. Isaac to Jacob. Jacob to Joseph. You think about the book of Ruth, and I've preached on it here It's so powerful. The book of Ruth, why is the book of Ruth in the Bible? It's wedged between the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel. If you read that history, like we did here on Wednesday nights, you're rolling right from Judges to 1 Samuel. The history is is continuous. 
goes right from the end of Judges where the, there, was a, there was total chaos in the land of Israel because they had no, they had no king and each person was a law unto themselves. Then you come into 1 Samuel and you see the birth of the prophet Samuel who will call out the first kings of Israel. It's a continuous, unbroken, historical continuum. Okay, But the Lord drops this little book of Ruth right in between them. Like, why is it here? Oh, it's a cool love story. I mean, Ruth, and she's a Moabitess, and her mother-in-law is an Israelite, and they marry, and she marries into the family, and all the men die. The husband dies, the other husband, the brother dies, the dad dies, they're all left, these three widows, and, and she the mother-in-law tells them, You girls go back to your home country. The other one does, but Ruth says, No, 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 I'm not gonna leave you. Where you go, I go, where you Lodge, I lodge, your God will be my God. That's a, that's a wedding text, but it was actually between a girl and her mother-in-law. So what happens? They come back, but Naomi knew, the mother-in-law knew the law of the kinsman redeemer. That according to Jewish law, when they came back, she should marry someone kin to the husband's family so she can now be taken care of and receive an inheritance. And Naomi knows a guy And she's a little bit older, so she knows how to work a man. And she tells Ruth exactly, I want you to fix up, girl. Sephora, Ulta, whatever you got to do, go to the hairdress, get it all right, and go out. And then what happens? He notices her. And then they have this encounter. And then he's on fire. And he's like, oh my God, i got to do something. So he goes to the city gates to one other guy he knows who is a closer kinsman redeemsman, and they strike a deal, so he gets Ruth. He marries her. She has a baby. The end of the book, guess what? It's Naomi sitting there. All of her reputation restored. All of her desolation now fulfilled. It's a beautiful story. But why is it there? It's there because Ruth had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. I feel this. Jesse had a little son named David. (laughs) And I got chills on this church. And what God is showing us is that I had... When Goliath showed up on the battlefield, 1 Samuel 16, it wasn't as if it caught God by surprise. Because God already had three generations working before the problem ever appeared. God already had a three generations of an answer brewing before they ever had a problem. And then David steps out on the battlefield and takes that guy out with a sling and a stone. Come on, somebody. God knew that the generations is an important thing in Scripture. And God doesn't think just in single generations. He thinks through the ages and through the generations. Why do you think Matthew starts out with a genealogy? Why do you think another gospel starts out with a genealogy? Because God's into working His plan. Don't worry, you're not left 
alone. God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He has an assignment on your life and He's already worked the solution out before you were ever born. He already knew what you would need in this hour. He already knows the people to pull together. He knows the open doors to open. He knows the doors to shut. He knows the words you need. He knows the friends you need. He knows the education you need. He knows the training you need. He's got everything already worked out. Come on, somebody. Give him a hand clap of praise. Yeah, give the Lord a shout in here this morning. Hallelujah. Your assignment is attached to generations. I'm gonna, we're going to pray. I'm going to put it in reverse here, though. Could it be that you're, you're here now because of what happened in generations prior to you? I, I, I just can't get away from this. The God's mercy extends to a thousand generations. And maybe there's nobody you can find in your history that's ever served God, and that's the beauty of His grace. But I've looked back through my genealogy and I realized there was a preacher. And I don't know why I'm saying this, but there was a preacher way back there. It was my dad's uh, great-great-grandfather. Would have been my great-great-great-grandfather. So he had a son who was a school teacher who served in the Civil War. We have his diaries. So we fought at Cold Harbor. So the other day I'm driving to Pennsylvania and I stopped by myself at Cold Harbor. I just walked the trenches and felt the vibe there. 18,000 men died there. It's crazy. But I thought, Lord, that young Appalachian Hess was there. And he loved the Lord. He talked about services they would have on Sundays and great preaching they would have in their camps and I thought, could it be that maybe they prayed for all the grandkids and the great-grandkids? Maybe they even threw out some prayers for the great-great-grandkids. When I got saved, no one in my family was really serving the Lord except my grandmother and grandfather on my mama's side. Their, their, their maiden names were Gillespie's, the Scottish name. And they loved the Lord. My mom, I was talking to her this weekend, she said they used to take you over. My grandma would take, I would stay with her during the days while my parents worked, and they would take me across the road to a sewing, a, a ladies who ran a sewing shop. And she would say, here's Hans, he's our little preacher. And I do remember them telling me this, these things when I was young. I, we didn't go to, my family didn't go to church. They were speaking it over my life, Garner. Speaking it over my life. And then I remember my grandpa taking me in. They had this big picture of Jesus in their hallway. And he would take me down and he would look at it and he said, you're going to be a preacher one day. And I thought at three years old, I knew I didn't want to do that because preachers don't make any money. That's what I thought at three years old. Listen, you don't know what's been prayed for you what's been spoken over you that you're just now living out. Some blessings. That's why parents don't stop. stop. Don't stop speaking over your kids. Come on, mamas, it's your day. Don't stop praying for your kids. If you live by yourself right now, 
I'm telling you, if you're calling out the name of your kids and grandkids, heaven hears. And heaven, heaven stands to attention at a mama's prayers. Amen? Heaven is standing to attention, sending angels, rescuing people. I could go on and on, but I'll, one more story and we'll close. I heard back in wartime that the, our sailors were on a naval ship and they asked, they were under fire, and they asked one of the sailors, the captain did, to do a certain task. And he said, Captain, could you just please wait until this certain time? And he said, Why? He said, Because my mama's up at 5 a.m. praying for me every, every morning. I'm praying that I make it home. If she's praying for me at that time, I know I'll be okay. And he went out and did his task and made it all right. How many stories like that? How many, some of you guys were in Vietnam? Y'all came back probably because your mama was calling out your name in prayer. I never read poems, but I'm going to read a poem. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. And he referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. And he noticed that the first date the date of birth, and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that they spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live in love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be arranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real. And always try to understand the way other people feel. Be less quick to anger. Show appreciation more. Love the people in our lives like we've never loved if we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering this little dash might only last a while. So when your, your eulogy is being read, with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? Thanks so much for watching us online. We're so blessed to, to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now. Okay, pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sins. And I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone. And I thank you that my life has changed. 
in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online. And I hope to see you again.